0: I'm Brian Jones. And I'm Seth Martin. And this this is is The Real Estate Estate Investing Investing Show.
1: So Seth, uh, any follow up for this week?
0: actually a lot, man. Um, You know, I I kept saying over the last, you know, three or four or five weeks, whatever it's been, um, you know, about the whole COVID-19 issue that, that if you stay working diligently on your business, whether it's the brokerage side, whether it's the investment side, whether whatever it may be, that you will be so far ahead of your competition when you come out the other side, it's not even funny. So last week I had... I had a really large week, actually. Um, We wrote a $3 million LOI for an office building that I'm pretty sure is going to go through um, for a client partner of mine. Uh, My partner was in town on the development side. We are in the process of getting two LOIs for two build-to-rent developments, get up and going. Um, I also have a a multi... Well, you and I have the quad that's getting close to closing. I wrote an offer with a group that we've been working on for that 17 unit Madison um, apartment complex that we now think we're probably pretty close to getting under contract. And we actually got owner financing on that, which is insane. Nice. Um, and, and it's a, I mean, it's a, I don't even know how to explain how great of a deal it really is. I mean, it's, it's a deal that, you know, we're walking in um, day one to like a nine and a half cap and we're going to be able to stretch that to probably, a you know, a, anywhere from a 12 to 14 cap when it's all said and done. So um, we'll make some really good returns on that. Um, I picked up a new client. Uh, I think you and I even talked about it over the last few weeks. That is a huge multifamily buyer uh, that is just basically stabilized units. And now it kind of gives me the access to go and do like value add stuff and and have a end buyer in mind, you know, creating that pipeline. So, you know, I, just staying diligent man um is has been what i've done and and it's paying off what about you uh
1: yeah no i've had a lot going on uh, one specific thing i want to follow up on about phil would be a little remiss not to say uh guys we're uh, sorry for last week we did miss last week yeah. so we both had a lot going on and uh we we just were not able to find time to record um so we we appreciate you guys sticking uh back with us and coming back this week um, as far as follow for me, I just had the coolest thing happen to me a couple of days ago, and it's yeah. nothing that I've really never that I've really ever thought about. You know, I know we do this for a reason. I know we do this to help people, uh, and that is our goal. But there was a lady who had posted, actually, a mutual a guy, a mutual friend of ours, um, had posted something online on REIN regarding lease to purchase options. Mm -hmm. And I've done a podcast about it. I've done a a webinar about it. I've done little short videos on my Facebook page about it. And apparently a lady who had watched most, if not all of that, uh, commented on this guy's post. He was wanting to know, you know, kind of what the process was as a seller, what the process was as a buyer, if anybody had done any of it and kind of, you know, what are their best practices they could share. Where this lady that I've never met before, never talked to, never seen her name, have no idea who she is, commented on that post, tagged me in it and said that she had watched uh, a bunch of my videos regarding lease to purchase options. Uh, After she watched those videos, she was able to complete two or three of them and that she found my videos more helpful than anything she had found in the past. And the guy who originally wrote the post reached out and was like, "Hey, I need to. I need to talk to you about this. I've got a lot of stuff going on, and I, I need some insight." So it was just really cool to me to be able to. Find, That's awesome. I, I know. I mean, to, you never know who you're touching when you do this stuff, and who's actually listening. And and to see somebody who you've never seen or heard of come back and throw your name down and say, "Hey, this person taught me how to do it. You need to listen to them." kind of cool. It's it's a neat feeling.
0: Today, we're going to kind of jump into something that Brian is is probably far more versed in than myself. However, I actually am just now completing my first deal as a seller um, and that is lease to purchase um, options, excuse me, lease to purchase options. And, you know, I want to kind of give Brian a chance to really explain what he looks for in a deal like this, how he structures those deals. And then I can kind of give a little bit of insight on how I structured my deal. So Brian, if you want to kind of just tell us what is a lease purchase option? So
1: a lease purchase option is, um, in my opinion, it's the better way to do rentals. Um, What you do is you take a lot of the cost associated with a rental property Such as capex expenses and just regular routine maintenance expenses. And you kind of put those off on the end buyer. Because they are effectively, uh, you know, giving you the or you're giving them rather the option to buy this property at a at the end of a specific term. Right. And not only does it does it divert a lot of the expenses from you and and take away a lot of your capex budget that you need to budget for. Now you still need to have property reserves and things like that in case they you know they don't make the payment or there's a large issue that they can't cover that makes the house inhabitable or is going to you know, continually cause right. damage to the property. But for the most part, it takes a lot of that off of you as the owner of that property. Um, the other thing that it does, is it allows you to collect a much larger down payment, if you will, or deposit, if you will, specific verbiage that you want to use in that. You don't want to use a down payment or deposit. You want, it needs to be a non-refundable fee or a non-refundable insert your noun there that you want to use but uh, it, it, it's just overall a better way to rent a property and I've done several of them and I have a title company here in Nashville that I work with a lot who if it hadn't have been for them I, I probably would never have really ventured out into doing it because they are kind of confusing and it's hard to know exactly what to put in each of the contracts so shout out to John Gleaves I mean frankly I, I couldn't have done my my first one without him uh, he's at Rudy title there in Nashville so basically what it is guys is it's where you have a property that you own uh, or you've done a wrap on or you've done a subject to purchase on what i have found and what i do most of mine on are what are called my subject to deals that's a whole nother topic that we'll talk about another day essentially you take over payments for somebody they walk away you have the house quote unquote free and clear subject to the previous mortgage and so we'll, we'll talk about that another day but that's where i use this a lot and so what i'll do is I'm just gonna use numbers, guys, that are not representative of any property that I've got, but it's just gonna be easier to follow. So, as an example, let's say I, property A, I purchased for, you know, 90 grand. I put 10 grand in to get it quote rent ready, and then I had 100 grand in it. Okay. Um, it was worth at that point, let's say 150, just to give it, a, you know, some forced depreciation there. It's worth 150. If I have somebody who is wanting to buy or rent that property, and I don't want to sell it outright, and I don't want to rent it outright, I can do what's called a lease-to-purchase option. You'd be surprised how many people out there right now have a large down payment or money sitting back, but they don't qualify for a loan. Happened to me for many years. Um, As When I first got into the real estate game and I started being my own boss and I no longer had a W-2 job, nobody would give me a loan for a mortgage, even though my income had... What what is eight, 10 times? I mean, I'd 10X it like Grant, you know, Grant Cardone used to say, or still says. Um, my income was ridiculously high compared to where it was the years prior, but nobody would look at me for a mortgage. And so we were still in our house that we had when I was making 35 grand a year as a cop, um, when I was making 300 grand a year. And I just couldn't get a loan until a certain point. And so I would have been the prime candidate for something like this. I had money in the bank. I just couldn't right. offer a loan. And so what you do is you find somebody um, who, who is in that situation, and instead of leasing them the property or selling the property outright, you ask them, "Okay, guys, so here's here's what I can do. I can do owner financing for you. You have them. You hold the mortgage on the property. You you know whoever your mortgage is through it really doesn't matter because again the the property is not." changing possession until the end of the term and then you will use a separate contract an agreement for possession of real estate with continuing option to purchase is is what my contract is called and again my title company was able to provide that and it's basically a fill in a fill in the blank format so it's very easy to use now i have specific verbiage that i've added in it that i've kind of you know learned over time relating right. to repairs um but that's that's definitely the way to go don't take my advice for this don't google search you know uh rent to own purchase option uh, you know contracts get with a title company that's local to you that you trust and then have the attorney draft you one and so what you'll do is um you'll find that person and they are out there that's not going to be the hard part at all finding them's not going to be the hard part and so you'll go tell me and say guys look um the property's worth 150 if you want it within the next one year Again, you know there's going to be appreciation over the next year. I'll sell it to you for, let's say, 160 because 10 grand appreciation over a year. So, what you have to make sure you do is that you don't sell yourself short. So, if you're going to do this for a year, you need to figure out what your average market increase is for appreciation and then multiply the sales price of what it's worth today by that number. And that's going to give you whatever you should sell it for within the next 12 months when they close on it in 12 months. So essentially what I'm telling you is that you're, you you inflate the price and you inflate the price for every year that you're going to carry the note. So let's just say our market's appreciating by 2% every year or 4% or I don't, I don't know what your market is, but let's just say right. 2%. Um, you're going to be looking at inflating that price by upwards of 2%, 4%, 6%. That's year one, year two, year three. Also remember that you need to multiply it out and then you need to take the percentage because you, you know... That first year, it's going to have gained. It's not going to be worth 150 anymore. It's going to be worth 160. So if you take 150 times 4% or times another 2% and then keep doing that over and over, yeah, you're getting 6%, but you're missing out on all that, um, that additional growth that happened over the years. So the compounding interest, so to speak, but compound appreciation. Right. You got to make sure that after every year, you figure out what that number would be, and then you multiply that by the percentage of growth that you're projecting. So generally what I do on these is I require a 10% down payment. So if this property is worth 150, I would require $15,000 down. Now, people look at that and they're like, holy crap, there's not a lot of people who have that sitting around. And I agree with you. That's what I thought before I started doing this. And then I would get people who were uh, programmers uh, who couldn't qualify, who were freelance programmers or uh, owned their own business or Amazon shop, um, who makes really good money, but they're a, a 1099 employee or self-employed, right. uh, people like me who are real estate agents. Uh, there, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of variables. variables. Yeah, it
0: happens a lot. I mean, it does. You know, freelancers, people yep. that, you know, and I'll, of course I'll go into this when we get to mine, but that's exactly the same situation that you guy i selling the property to is in is yep. So
1: yeah, so I mean that that's that's essentially it. I mean the the structure is the same as a regular purchase. It is basically combining a purchase with a lease option, and so what I do is again I generally do a three year term. So what I will do is I will say, guys, I require ten percent down. You have thirty six months to uh, to refinance the property, and then in that I will calculate out uh, what that 150000 dollars house is worth. So it's say one fifty times uh, two two and a half three percent. Whatever that number is, times two and a half three percent. Whatever that number is, times two and a half three percent. And so, so, I mean.
0: so you don't lock the price in on the front end.
1: Oh yeah. Yes, I do. Yep. Okay. So what I write in the contract is whatever that end number is. So I just do this math on my own, and so I'll take let's say it's worth 150, I'll multiply that by, I, normally I use 4% if we're being honest because that's right. a very hot market. So I'll do um, 150 times 4%, that'll give me a number. Then I'll take that number, I'll do that number times another 4%. Then I'll take that number and then that number times 4%. And then that will give me three years worth of appreciation, right? And then I take that number, that final number off that third multiplication of 4%. And then that's what goes in the contract as the sales price. And so if they, if they sell or if they refinance it within the first year, I just instantly made more money. If they, whether there's appreciation or not, they over, we overvalued the property. The other thing that's very specific that you need to do is you need to write in there that the down payment, the non-refundable fee that they're paying up front will go toward the purchase price, but that the monthly rent, no portion of the monthly rent does. And so none of it does. So the last one I did just to kind of round this off guys, um, the house is worth 260. dollars I wrote a lease purchase option for 279.9. dollars I think we've talked about this one on the podcast before. He dropped me off a check for $28,000. I wrote in there that they're responsible for all maintenance uh, over that three-year period. They have 36 uh, months to refinance. They're going to be paying me $1,700 a month in rent. Which, if you multiply that out over 36 months, I believe it came out to like sixty-one thousand dollars. But of course, there's of course there's a mortgage um, that has to be paid out of that. But I think it's like sixty-one grand or somewhere around there, maybe a little less. Um, and then of that, none of that goes toward the principal balance. The principal balance is the two eighty minus the twenty-eight they put down, and that will not change for the duration of the lease to purchase option until the day that they refinance. So that's kind of the gist of it. And to me it helps you again, the reason you would do a lease purchase option, number one, you get a much larger down payment. So instead, you know, if they cause right. damage to the property, you don't just have one month's rent to go off of, you have, you know, 10%. So, and the, the other thing about it is that people who can put down 10%, they're really probably going to take care of that property because they've got a lot to lose. They don't just have yeah. a few hundred dollars to lose. Yep. And lastly, the best slash worst thing about this, 90% of people never close. So it's bad for them, but extremely good for you. Because what you can do is if they do not close, and again, this is statistics, you can Google this, 90% of these never close with that original person. And so I'm not out there to take anybody's money, but this is an option that I want to give people. And if they don't execute on it, I'm not at fault for that. And so what this allows you to do is after that 36 months, if they have not refinanced, that agreement is null and void. They no longer have that option to purchase the property. And the $28,000 they put down becomes straight money for you. You don't have to pay it back. It is not... Uh, I specifically write in the contract again, this is where a good title attorney comes into ha- uh, comes in handy, regardless of what happens after thirty six months, whether they stay as a long term renter uh, rental long term renter rather uh, or if they leave because they're frustrated or upset because they didn't hit that thirty six month mark. I get to keep that ten percent down that never changes nothing that that 's never going back to them, and I can do this again with the next person, so it's an insanely good way to be able to take a big down payment up front, make a lot of money over a period of time as rent. And then on the back end, if they don't refinance, do it all over again. So you you, you could literally cycle one of these properties three, four or five times and you have gotten 50% of the value of the property and <laughs> it's still It's still all yours, and you can sell it outright and make that fifty percent up again. It's just insane it in my opinion, it's the best way to do a rental. Seth, what about you?
0: Well, actually, really quick, I was going to ask you what are some common pitfalls that you found that you know if someone wants to do this, and I'm asking for myself here too I mean, not sure I'm already in contract, and I feel pretty good about what I'm doing, but ultimately, um you know, I want to make sure.
1: There's, nah. two, there's two things. I, I know exactly what you're saying. There's two things. Number one is a lot of people um, that you talk to will be well qualified. Um, I, I do still do, like I was doing a rental, I will still do a background check, a credit check, and all that for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, a lot of people may not have exactly the 10%. So I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that uh, 10% is a hard and fast rule for me because it's not. You know, if I have a property worth 250 and they can bring 15 grand, maybe 20 grand to the table. I'm likely to still do that deal. Because again, I have a lot. I mean, that money is basically just an upfront uh, payment to me for my equity in the house. And if they don't close, then I get to keep it and keep my equity. And so for me, as long as they have enough skin in the game and I feel comfortable with it, I'll, I'll do it. That's number one. Number two is you still need to do your quarterly inspections. And this is maybe the property manager side of me, but they are responsible for maintenance. But the thing is, is that it is still your property at the end of the day. So if they neglect the property and there's an active leak or there's an issue that needs to be addressed, Mm -hmm. yes, I have verbiage in mind that says they're responsible for that if they don't report it. But it just comes down to the fact that it's still your property and you want to make sure that your assets are covered, right? Mm -hmm. And that you are keeping the property in the best shape that you can be, even though they're responsible for the maintenance. Because again, I write that in there. You just got to make sure that it is actually happening and being done.
0: Yeah, that's really, that's really smart. So anyway, uh, what about you? So notes taken. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, well thank you.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so myself, it's kind of a similar situation. Um, I built a house in Nashville a couple years ago. Well, I built, a, it was an HPR. I built a couple of them. So sold, sold one unit uh, to a friend of mine, actually, that, that was looking for a house that was just really having trouble in, in the price point that he was looking. Um, he just really having trouble finding something, you know, we were getting into multiple offer situations and um, on everything that he liked. And he just, he he was getting frustrated. And so I had this one come up um, that we were just about done with. And so I pitched it to him um, and he ended up liking it. And, you know, because I was an agent and was going to be able to double side both, you know, both sides, I cut him a pretty good deal on the house itself, let him walk into a little bit of equity and um, got that one sold. Well, the minute he moved in, he immediately started on me going, Hey man, you should move in next door. You should move in next door, man. This would be fun. This would be fun. You should move in next door. Come on, come on, come on. It'd be fun. And so um, that was in uh, November of 18. So uh, in February of 19, I went ahead and moved into the house next door. Well, you know, obviously those that have been following the show know that I've had a child and this is in, you know, not a bad neighborhood. It's in a great neighborhood of Nashville, but Ultimately, I, I don't want to raise my kid in the city. I'm, I'm a country boy at heart, and um, I want to be a little more rural and, and have a little bit more uh, ability to go sit out on my porch in peace and quiet when I need to. And so uh, I still owned a house down in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, that um, we had been – well, we would had it as rental, and then um, now we were renovating it for sale. And Christine decided that she loved the house, and we were – kind of going into the remodel. And she's like, if you'll let me remodel this kind of the way I want to, um, you know, this is where we're going to. So, uh, happy wife, happy life. If you know what I mean? Um, I didn't argue for sure. So, anyway, <laughs> I said for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, anyways, that, that's kind of been our plan. Well, we, we listed the house. Um, and there is a little bit of a challenge with, with this property to kind of tell you exactly what's going on. We built this on a, a lot that's on a fairly busy street, but, we, this is, you know, this is one of those mistakes, right? This is, this, you, for those of you listening, pay attention. You're going to make them. You know, um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, that, that old saying. But if you don't have that bird in your hand, don't necessarily go forward with what you think you have. And so we bought this lot uh, in 2017, into 2017. We're going to start building in 2018. And we thought we were going to be able to actually get the rest of the block. It's empty lots all down this block. And we thought for sure we were going to get the rest of these blocks or the rest of the block. And then I was going to be able to build a private drive from the corner lot back up through there. And if that would have happened, I mean, to kind of put this in perspective, my profit margin on each unit would have been over $130,000. Wow. So, and we were going to do uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight units total. And I would have been rolling it. Okay. But what, what happened is, is the the other lots were in a, conservatorship. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it's usually that the owner is incapacitated. They're either mentally or physically incapacitated to the point that they can no longer, um, dictate their own affairs. And so, you know, obviously I don't know what the actual issue was and I, it's none of my business to begin with. Um, but we were trying to buy these lots and then the attorney that was involved, um, just kind of kept jerking us around a little bit. And what happened is my plan originally was actually to buy this and then, um, turn these into attached units so that I can get eight units on there. Well, we, they kept jerking us around. So we went and got a plan for an HPR, which is to build for those that you who don't know what that is. It's a horizontal property regime. And we ended up, uh, basically calling the attorney like right before we filed the HPR and saying, listen, if you don't figure out a way, I mean, listen, we're, we're willing to give you market value, right? Like for the loss, because we're, we're building ourselves. We're going to be able to, I'm not worried about like trying to knock $10,000 off the price of a lot or something like that. Right. Like it's not that big of a deal. Right. Um, we'll give you market rate, but you got to figure out how to get these things sold. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, what I'm telling you is, is that I'm buying this lot and it's in the middle of this block. And when I entitle it for what I'm about to entitle it for, I'm going to be devaluing your land almost in half. He didn't want to hear it he wouldn't listen to me i'm like and i literally showed him documentation but you know that's the old saying that you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink right and so what ended up happening is we went ahead and, you know went forward well about four months into our construction project he calls me He's like hey i got ready to ready to sale you ready to offer us the same price i'm like no i mean i'll offer you about half of what i originally had so they went ahead and right. listed actually still listen to this day they've had multiple people try to try to buy these um, and they've gotten lowballed because that's what they're worth right now. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean, that's a, that's a developer's game for you that we don't have to go down since we're on lease, lease options. But regardless, mm-hmm. what ended up happening is, is that we put this on the market. It was a little bit of a challenging sale. We did price it well below what we think it would appraise for um, just because I'm, we were wanting to move, right? Like sure. I was, I was looking at it like, if I can walk with 60 grand, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Right. And so I have a friend of mine that he's actually my website guy. He does a lot of my uh, content, does a lot of, just a lot of different things. And he kind of does this, I almost call it like an altered, altered house hacking, right? It's a little bit different than house hacking, but it's basically the same thing. And he, while he was doing his nine to five job, he easily qualified for home. Well, he went self-employed um, beginning of last year. So he went to, um, you know, went to go ahead and try to get a second home, like a second one to do this same house hacking thing. And of course the lenders are all like, listen, right. you make great money. I mean, this, this kid made $140,000 on on paper, right? right. Well, he only has one year tax returns and he's self-employed and he's only been in this industry, quote unquote, on paper for one year, even though he's right. been in it for five or six years. So he was asking me like some, you know, trying to find some strategic ways to get a loan, you know, whether it was hard money or whatever. And of course I told him during COVID, like, that's crazy. You don't get hard money. Cause it's all, it's all really jacked up and difficult right. to obtain anyway. And so I'm like, well, what are you trying to do anyway? And so he told me and I said, you know, why don't you just look at making me an offer on my house? And he's like, okay. And so him and his partner came over and they took a look at it. And they made an offer the next day. And they needed owner financing. But so what I did was is I structured it around since they were doing their little house hack and all that stuff, you know, they're gonna have a couple of roommates or whatever. Right. Um, I I retained, you know, I retained ownership of the property through this lease option. And um uh, Yes but, and just so you
1: guys understand, you will always do that. If you're doing a lease purchase option, you will always keep ownership. No deed. No deed. It's yeah,
0: you know, I I I I came from an area of Missouri at one time where there was this group that was like a—it's called Classic Country Land—and all they did was come in and buy up large crappy tracts of land, lot it up into five to fifteen acre tracts, and then sell them off to like—I mean, it's, it was a big scam. Like, they, but they would sell them off to like California investors, or, or not investors, but like California people that wanted to live off grid someday and all this stuff. And you know, all they would make them do is put five hundred to a thousand dollars down. They would do a contract for deed and. and Basically, just like Brian mentioned earlier, 90% of those people never refinanced or closed on the property or or finished paying the property off. And so Classic Country Land made all their money and then they got the property back. (laughs) And so now keep in mind, I'm not – for what what Brian's doing is a little bit less – skeptical these guys were pitching this they, they
1: were scamming people yeah, yeah and i make as it as as very clear
0: up front you know? land you know land in right. the ozarks of missouri right. and it's it's really just cut timber land that you know it's clear cut and it's nothing but brush and barbed wire or i mean briar patches and stuff i mean it's just junk land you know
1: it's funny you mentioned ozark because my wife is literally in the next room watching that right now
0: oh man she's yeah, trying yeah. to catch up so, so i'm actually originally tree. from about hour <laughs> south of like that, so. that 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 lake so it's pretty crazy and, I don't know if there was any like drug cartels there, but there definitely used to be some wild stuff that went on there. <laughs> Let me tell you that, but um, yeah, so I'm I'm pretty excited about this deal. You know, he's putting ten percent down, um, financing it at six and a half percent. My current note is at um, is at three percent. Right. My current payment is right around two percent. I mean, two thousand right. um, dollars. His payments are like twenty twenty six hundred roughly. So I'm cash flowing about six hundred bucks a month. Plus he's putting 10 you know, 10% down. Um, so, and, and again, the one difference between mine is it's not three years, it's one year. He has right. one year to refinance it because. Did
1: you, know, you appreciate the property? Did you, did you make sure? When, that's, that's okay. one
0: thing that, you know, obviously I wish I would have done, but at right. the same time, like for me, he's a friend. Right. If it can appreciate enough to help him make sure that he, you know, solidifies his refi. Right. That's, that's really all. Cause I, I've got bigger fish to fry. I mean, I'm not, it's, this is not my bread and butter thing. This was just kind of a favor slash way to make some additional money. Sure. You know, that $600 in cash flow every month is basically um, three quarters of my mortgage payment at the other, the other place. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically, once this closes and I get moved to Chapel Hill and refi that house, I am basically living debt free pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the, my, la- the last one I did is very.
1: Yeah, the last one I did was very similar to that to where the cash flow I'm making off of that property covered the increase. And I went from a 1650 square foot house that I lived in to now 3100 and the cash flow off of that one property is making up the difference between that payment and this one. So my last house okay. that we lived in, we did the same thing. It was the the example I just gave a few minutes ago and the monthly rent on that is paying the difference between that house and the one I'm living oh. in now that's twice the size. I failed
0: to mention that when I do this, um, I'm also going to be refining the house that we're moving into. And my so my current payment on the house, which I got this loan back in 2015 on that house And I've never refined it, which is crazy, I know. But um, my interest rate was like 4.2%, I think, or 4.15. And um, I'm going to be able to refinance that house, pull out about $30,000, and drop my payment by $300 a month.
1: Nice. Very nice.
0: I'll be able to drop PMI. I'll be able to drop – because it was a USDA loan that I did when I first moved here. Uh, since it was real development, I just wanted to see what it was all about because I was learning that, You know, when I got here, being a real estate agent, I wanted to, I need to refresh your course, and I thought it was a pretty good idea. Uh, great you know. idea. So anyway, um, um, so it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, what I'd like to do real quick is take just a second to read the special stipulations that I put in my contracts. Sure. Yeah, that would be good. Um, cool. That that are the least to purchase contracts because I think this may help people. So, um, above and beyond what your attorney puts in there, the, these that I, what I'm about to put in here is already mentioned some places above. I just like to call special attention to it in the special stipulations for the contract. Um, I, the very first one I put is a second party to pay all expenses related to homeowners association. So this is one that a lot of people forget about when they rent out a property or they do at least a lease to purchase option. They're like, okay, well I need to cover the mortgage and to cover this, that, you know, the renter's got to take care of their utilities and all that. Oh crap two months in, three months in, you get your bill from your HOA and you're like, I forgot to include that. Can't go back to them now. So just make sure that you put in here that that second party is to pay all expenses related to the homeowners association. The other reason that's extremely important is um, because the next line says this includes any monthly dues, late fees, or fines. So if your tenant decides to not mow the yard and then you start getting $15 fines, uh, $15 a day for every day it's uncut, then that all falls back on them. And that's a breach in this agreement to where if they don't reimburse you for to pay for it, then they've already, for lack of a better word, pissed away that 28 grand or that 10% they put down. So there's just so many things that can uh, protect you as the investor here. The second thing that I put in here is second party is responsible for all yearly taxes associated with the property herein. Now, this particular property is escrowed. The taxes are escrowed, right? And so that's already built into my payment. So what did I just do? I just made sure at the end of the year, these guys got to cut me another $1,800 check. So even though it's included in my payment, they understand that they are associate, they're they're responsible for the yearly taxes associated with the property. So my escrow account's gonna automatically pay that out of the payment that I already have going in every month. And then at the end of the year, they're gonna to have to cut me a check for whatever the, uh, the taxes are. So that's just a little bit more that you can pull onto these type of transactions, right? Um Seth is this helping you a little bit are you yeah, man, I'm taking notes before
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're talking. right uh, Full disclosure uh, podcasts i still take notes in my own so oh 100% uh, i had to put you on mute just for a second so that i could type into my computer so you guys <laughs> didn't me <end up> going <laughs>
1: <laughs> um number 3 special step second party understands they are responsible for all maintenance on the property and are responsible for costs associated with maintenance and repairs Kind of like what we said before, that's already in there. I'm just calling special attention to it. And first party is always the seller, which is going to be you most of the time. And second party is going to be the renter slash just in case I didn't mention that earlier. Second party understands they are free to complete any upgrades that they wish associated with the property. However, if second party does not close within the time allowed, upgrades will not be uh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Upgrades will be forfeited, and second party will have no claim against the property, nor will the second party be reimbursed.
0: So my, yeah, my contract's written up the same way because they're yeah. they're, wanting, they're wanting to do a few little things to it. I'm like, okay.
1: e- exactly. So let them increase the value of your property. And if it's okay. true that 90% of these people don't close, then you've just got new granite countertops or painted cabinets or whatever they do, and you just got it for free. Um, and then let's see, second party understands that if and when they close on the property, they are responsible for all buyer associated closing costs, title expenses associated with the closing. Only got two more and then we'll be done. Uh, second party understands this property is owned by a real estate affiliate broker licensed in the state of Tennessee. Now that's only important, obviously, if you're a real estate agent in the state in which you're doing these in. Uh, I, I'm obviously an agent here. I also had them assign one of our TAR forms, which is Tennessee Association of Realtors Special Interest or uh, Personal Interest Disclosures. But I always put it in my contract too. That way, you know, if I don't get it signed at the same time as I get the Personal Interest Disclosure, they can never say they didn't know that I was an agent, right? And then lastly, um, if after 36 months, the property does not appraise for $279,999 1st party, is not required to renegotiate the price with the second party. Uh, the non-refundable down payment will still be forfeited if buyer chooses not to close. So that's it. So Man, th- those few steps. Go ahead.
0: So that's some good stuff.
1: Yeah, (laughs) those few stipulations can save you a ton of heartache. And some of these have been added in after I got burned on other deals, uh, mainly the HOA one, where I forgot to include HOA in it and they started getting fined because they weren't cutting their grass. So hopefully my mistakes will prevent you from making the same one. Smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So please learn from my mistakes, guys. All right, Seth. So uh, that was a pretty informative episode. I'm glad we were able to do that. I'm actually going to send this straight over to that gentleman who had uh, asked to talk to me this week about those. So uh, as far as uh, a week in your shoes, what's been going on?
0: Man, um, really just continuing to kind of you know, grow what, what we've been working towards. Um, I have had a lot of success, as I mentioned, follow up earlier, that has been just kind of doubling and tripling down on the things that i was already working on and really trying to go forward hardcore with with all all of those things um you know this last week i actually made well well over 200 phone calls in the first three days of the week um, to different potential off-market properties uh, potential investment partners and my current clients so um, just that alone actually already has generated about three million dollars in offers uh, or, or potential offers. And then, as I mentioned in follow up, we've already wrote a three million dollar offer last week, and we're working on um, probably, like I said, about another three million. So, you know, this this last week has been exactly what. I was hoping to do. I tried to really push forward during the lockdown and really lock into what I was doing. And then as soon as things started opening up, you know, the, the, the fruit started falling, if you will. That's awesome. What about you?
1: Well, I I will first have to say this, it is kind of awe-inspiring and uh, it really uh, makes me appreciate the person that you are, that at this level, you are still making 200 phone calls (laughs) like that. A lot of people hate getting on the phone when it comes to trying to prospect and that is one of the ways in real estate that anybody can be successful and for somebody who's had the amount of success that you had to still be doing that, just kind of shows that 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 works. It always has worked. It always will sure. work.
0: I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. There, are, I, I set goals every week to try to do, you know, between 100 and 200 calls and, and and be on the phone at least 100 to 200 times. It doesn't always work out that way, sure. obviously. Like you know, like the business happens, and I'm running from this place to that place and all that. But um, you know, I'm a firm believer in sticking to the things that got you there. Um, you know, we can. We can sit here and try to reinvent the wheel all we want. And don't get me wrong, I do think it's very important to continuously diversify your marketing, your business, all those things. So like being able to try to drive leads to yourself as opposed to searching those, you know, those potential opportunities out. But ultimately, stick with what got you there. That's what you know. You know, like that's, that's what got me where I'm at and that's what I continue to do. Absolutely.
1: So um, now that I've uh, bragged on you for a second, I'll just yeah, tell you guys what, what, I was what happened. I
0: myself uh, on the back while you were talking.
1: Right. Um, well, you know, I, I spent this, this past week trying to get Brooke, my new assistant, onboarded and get all that squared away. That's the
0: property man- management lady, yeah,
1: right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. She worked for a local uh, property management group here in Middle Tennessee. That's awesome. They, yeah. They let her go, and we have hit um, last week alone, we added. Twelve new uh, clients as far as property management, so uh, we're getting to a point to where I, I needed someone else, and so she was the perfect hire because she had already been experienced in this. So I've been onboarding her with that, getting her familiar with our systems. Um, also, um, you know, just trying to you know show her the ropes as far as like transaction coordinating, so she can kind of help me on on both of those. Right. So that's, um, that's really all other than, um, a- along with that, I- I've started uploading our quadplex into uh, the system. So as of now, our quads already in our property management system, all the contact information is already in for all also the tenants. Soon. Yeah, it's it's already done. Um, all of the tenants have been contacted, letting them know that in six days, ownership's going to change, that we're going to be looking to reach out to them and get them back under a lease agreement. Because as of right now, they're all month to month, except for one unit, which we just filled ourselves. And that's, uh, that's really been about it. And I had three closings last week and I got two more tomorrow. So <laughs> just trying to keep all those uh, those trains on the rails. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for joining us once again for this episode of the Real Estate Investing Show. If you need to reach Seth or myself, reach out to us on our Facebook page at the Real Estate Investing Show or visit us on our website, which is therealestateinvestingshow.fm. Happy Memorial Day, Seth, our Memorial Special Edition episode of the Real Estate Investing Show.
0: For all those veterans that we have lost, you know, uh, I've I've got a few in my family that are veterans that we lost, some that are still alive. It's always, um, you know, this is always kind of an interesting time. Um, You know, uh, growing up in a small town, you know, most of the people that... I know if they didn't go to college for a specific reason, most of them went in the military. So
1: yeah, absolutely. Same with a lot of people that I grew up with. Now moving here to Nashville when I did, when I was eighteen or I guess I was nineteen. Um, you know, I, I didn't keep up with a lot of them, but I do know that a lot of the guys that I went to high school with that, like like you said, didn't go off to college, joined the army, and uh, were in Iraq and Afghanistan right. and uh, deployed. I have one. Buddy, actually, just saw his mom post something on my Facebook today uh, in memory of him, uh, Keith Essary. I uh, went to high school with him, and you know he mm-hmm. he was hit by an IED while he was over there, and uh, rough situation. But we always want to remember and thank them for everything they sacrifice and do for us. You know, law enforcement I know is obviously not the, in the military, and this is not really a um, this is not really a day for them. But I'll tell you, most of the the, the guys that I served with when I was a cop. Um, most of those guys were prior military. So it just takes a special breed of person to do either one of those jobs. And, you know, just instead of remembering them on a specific day, we need to think about them every day because every one of those guys put it, put
0: it all on the line every single day. What's, what's funny, uh, not actually, it's not funny. Excuse me. (laughs) That's terrible choice words. Uh, But what's, what's interesting is that, you know, when I was younger, I actually considered it. Um, you know, obviously I wanted to play basketball in college and I was able to achieve that goal, but, um, you know, I thought about it. I I always had this idea that I wanted to be a sniper. And then of course you, if you remember the, the movie that's came out here recently about Chris Kyle, um, obviously that glorified the whole thing a little bit, but, um, I actually have a friend of mine from high school that that's been, I mean, he was in the Army for four years, um, you know, resigned or came out of the Army after his, you know, his first stint, um, ended up going back. And, you know, um, he's a really good friend, and he, he he told me many times over, he's like, you made the right choice. Right. You know, just you're right. It takes a rare breed of person to understand that. And I think, you know, I'm not to get on a political soapbox today or any kind of societal soapbox, but I, I really think that veterans <clears> – <throat> in today's world are starting to get uh massive amounts of disrespect for their sacrifices and things like that. And it's very, very sad because I, mean, I feel like majority of the people that are giving the disrespect, um, you know, couldn't walk a day in that other person's shoes.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. I, I listened recently to Joe Rogan talking to, right. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but they were talking talking about. Yeah, it was a recent episode um, that he was talking about, you know, going through buds. And then after going through buds, uh, you know, becoming an instructor in buds and talking Mm -hmm. about hell week and all that. Mm -hmm. And man, just to hear this guy talk about how they legitimately for seven days get two hours of sleep. I, I just – I can't imagine somebody making it through that. I thought when I went through the police academy, them you know, letting us go to bed at 9.30 at night and waking us up at 3.30 in the somebody, morning when PT was like rough. You
0: are talking about um, Dan Crenshaw, right? Uh, I, uh,
1: if he was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast yeah, like two weeks ago, back. then yeah. Was he, it, it
0: was, yeah.
1: It was the same, the same guy who I, I guess does um, wingsuit flights now.
0: Oh, 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 yeah, that's a different guy. I'm talking about yeah. Dan Crenshaw, the, the congressman.
1: Oh no 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 not him no
0: it was some other guy. Yeah, he has the eye patch, you know, like like. Yeah,
1: um, oh yeah yeah I know yeah, you're talking he's about. he's
0: a that's a hard individual right there. Too, oh yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah no man like that that's the craziest thing too is like you know like <laughs> right now I've got a child and you know there was there was a period there for about the first month month and a half that I was having you know I had sleep deprivation right <laughs> I was just an angry person and like and not myself and you know. It it really takes a toll on you, and people people can't understand that. Like when you don't get sleep, if you get if you're only getting like two hours of sleep for, for seven days, man. Three days without extensive and and strenuous workouts and things like that. Right, right? we're not even t- talking about like you know putting your body through you know rigorous torture, basically. Right, right, and then not getting sleep on top of that. Like no, man, I'm telling you. I mean, I feel like I'm very, very tough, but I'm not sure if I'm that tough. I'm gonna be honest.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and that's you know, that's Navy SEALs. It's an extreme situation, but either way, these guys go through a lot. And just like police officers, they put their life on the line to protect and defend the country. They do it out of the country, while the police officers do it here locally. And I just have mad respect for all of them. I appreciate everything that they've done. Um, and days like today, just kind of, you know, you and I get to enjoy a. Um, it's a very tough business. But it's nothing compared to what those guys deal with no. and I'm it's thankful for park. it every single day.
0: The walk in the park. Oh, oh.
1: compared to what they deal with? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I know you've had days like this and I have days like this all the time where nothing seems to go right.
1: Oh, it's, I had that last Friday. But yes, yeah, I know we're talking about
0: it. Get on the pity party and you get yeah. on the stuff. You know, I challenge every person that's that's doing this to 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 take a step back when those things happen and just look at the big picture. Like you're gonna get through whatever it is, like if you continue to work. Right. If you quit, no, you're not gonna get through it. But if you just continue to push forward, you're going to break through.